and I, I turned up 10 minutes late for a half an hour interview uh, and she, she harangued me at the front door and said the interview was over and that she had to um, catch a train. I was like, oh no, I've, I've blown it. So she ran upstairs and she said, okay, I've got a bit of time. Can you make me a cup of tea? And she was sh shouting this downstairs to me while I was standing outside in the kitchen. And she was a massive figure at the time, a huge figure. Um, unfortunately, she's, she's passed on now. But she was a um, massive, massive figure at the time. And I was going, bloody hell, I'm in Mo Mullum's kitchen and she's shouting at me. Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika Chakrabarti, and I'll be your host. Freelance Pod is all about how the internet has revolutionised work. Each week, I'll speak to someone working in a creative field and ask them how their industry has moved from an analogue to a digital age or how the internet has invented their job. If you like what we're talking about in the podcast, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at FreelancePod, on Twitter as at Freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. Burnout. I feel like we hear that word more and more often these days probably because we're all suffering from it. The first online piece to go really viral in 2019 was about burnout and millennials. That was written by Anne Helen Peterson of BuzzFeed, and I'll put a link to her piece in the show notes. Today's guest on the podcast, John Crowley, has investigated and written about burnout and journalism. John is a digital journalist and consultant, and he's been working with the European Journalism Centre on their News Impact Network. Last autumn, John sent out a survey asking journalists to talk about how information worked in digital newsrooms. The results are grim, if not completely surprising. Just over 50% of the journalists surveyed said that they were overwhelmed by the information coming their way during a working day, and they would like to find solutions to help them manage. So John will talk about some of the possible solutions. And um, he also walks us through his career, which has spanned two decades and started in print, an analogue newsroom where only one computer had the internet. So let's see what John has to say. So I've been a journalist for uh, 20 years, uh, having started out in what you might want to call an analogue or print newsroom and done the, the journey over to, uh, to, to digital, although I still do work, work in print. Back then, The Guardian had a massive uh, media section of pullout um, in, in G2 that, that you and your listeners, uh, older listeners, shall we say, might remember. And I just used to go through that uh, every week. I think it came out on a Monday. And I just do, used to go through that every week, just trying to um, uh, kind of find a job. And actually, it, it's interesting to, to compare it with now, where um, perhaps not in the, in the field of journalism, but you speak to young people going and doing degrees, and they've all, they already got their startup um, in their head about what they're going to do and how they're going to launch it and how it's going to be a massive success. And certainly when I was at university, I just had this vague idea that I wanted to, to, um, to read um, Shakespeare and Chaucer, and I certainly didn't have um, a career uh, spanned out uh, in my head, and, and that's a lot 
uh, different now, 25 uh, years later. So what, what I just did, I just applied and applied and applied. And I have an Irish background. I was born in London, but I, I was born to Irish parents. And there's a newspaper still in existence, still going strong, called the Irish Post newspaper, which I um, applied to as an editorial assistant. So this is on a newspaper. Uh, and if at the time, I think just after I joined, um, one person in the office got access to this this newfangled thing called the World Wide Web, but none of the rest of the um, the newsroom had any ex- access to the web. So if we wanted to go into the web, we had to wait for this guy who was the deputy editor to go out to lunch, uh, and he'd really complain because we'd you know go and mess up his desk and eat his desk and and kind of log on onto the uh, onto the internet to do things. So it was very much uh, print based. I was an editorial assistant, so that involved uh, making lots of cu- cups of tea going to, uh, and remember this is an Irish newspaper, going to kind of Irish dancing events, covering Irish sports, kind of writing up community listings. It was a paper for the Irish community in Britain. So you could be doing kind of what, what you might call um, the, the junior stuff like that. But also, you know, in the, the first couple of years, I interviewed Jerry Adams, who was, you know, then in, the, in trying to strike a, a, a peace deal with the, the British government. So you, it, it, was, it was a really good... Uh, introduction to journalism where you learnt the knots and bolts but you also got to to interview you know the, these big irish names that would that would were coming over to um to britain either you know politics the the arts basically did every job in the in, in the newsroom because i ended up being there five years so everything from being editorial assistant to reporter to a news editor to the arts editor to travel editor so i tried everything out and it was absolutely fantastic grounding but I wanted to go into Fleet Street. I wanted to um, test myself and kind of get, uh, work on a national newspaper. So it wasn't so much I, I came with my, my knapsack because I was living in London, but I just basically freelanced uh, around anywhere um, that would take me, to be honest. Uh, and again, I kind of sent my CV out and bothered news editors. And uh, pretty much by and large, that involved doing weekend and night shifts because, of course, um, nobody wanted to do those. So I worked at the Sunday Times, the Daily Mirror. Uh, the Sunday Telegraph, uh, the Guardian. This is in various reporting and and subbing guises. And uh, for some reason, the Daily Telegraph asked me back a little bit more than the others. And I ended up being, first of all, a night news reporter, then a reporter, then a night news editor um, on the news desk, which was you know quite exciting and, and nerve-wracking in the sense that you would have to make calls on, on stories at night when um, the bosses weren't there. And you know if it was massive, you could bring them up. But um, very often you had to, you know, really make calls yourself. Uh, and then I went on to the, the the day news desk. Then I went on to the Daily Mail on, the, on its news desk for, for for three years. And from there I went to the Wall Street Journal, where I worked as uh, a senior news editor. Uh, and then I worked. I kind of I kind of joined the, the the journal. The Wall Street Journal then had a European edition newspaper, and I worked on that. But I found myself you know, gravitating at this time. This is around 2010 over to to online and the journal you know which which is still uh, even then had had really you know big resources in, in covering the tech story out the silicon valley uh, you know i covered uh, the, the the digital side of things i ended up becoming um editor of wsj.com for europe the middle east and africa i then became its digital editor uh, of the same reason uh, kind of running the output of 450 uh, journalists and from there, I went to Newsweek and the International Business Times, where I was editor-in-chief. 
uh, up until uh, November 2017. And since then, I've been working as a, as a freelance uh, and a consultant. So I was a cub reporter, uh, and this was around 2000. I interviewed um, Mo Molum, uh, who was the Northern Ireland secretary, who helped strike with, or Tony Blair, or some would say, was the, the lead act on the part of the government uh, in terms of striking the deal. And I remember I've actually... Uh, I had her, she was publishing a biography called Momentum, um, boom, boom. And I remember um, I, I kind of got lost on the way to her house. She lived in Hackney. And I, I turned up 10 minutes late for a half an hour interview. Uh, and she, she harangued me at the front door and said the interview was over and that she had to um, catch a train. I was like, oh, no, I've, I've blown it. So she ran upstairs and she said, OK, I've got a bit of time. Can you make me a cup of tea? And she was sh- shouting this downstairs to me while I was standing outside in the kitchen. And she was a massive figure at the time, a huge figure. Um, unfortunately, she's, she's passed on now. But she was a um, massive, massive figure at the time. And I was going, bloody hell, I'm in Mo Mullum's kitchen. And she's shouting at me to, to make a cup of tea. And I think, I think uh, looking back, she was on a complete wind-up. And she was uh, basically having a, a to fun with me and just winding me up. But I did make her a cup of tea. Uh, I interviewed her in the cab on the way to the, uh, the train station. And at the train station, it was at King's Cross. She said, oh, uh, would you mind carrying my bags? So I ended up carrying her bags across King's Cross Station. And every, you know, I was basically her bag carrier, which she absolutely loved and I'm sure took a huge delight out of. And, of course, there's all these people who were t- you know, t- craning the necks going, oh, my God, there's, there's Mo Molan walking there along with her, her bag carriers carrying their bags. Got a great interview out of her. Only 20 minutes, did, did, did it in the cab. So, yes, there's the, 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 the so-called sexy end of journalism where you're kind of interviewing uh, these huge, big figures of, of great stature. And, and then there's the, 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 the legwork, uh, apart from carrying bags, obviously, for Mo Molum. But actually, that was, that was quite fun. But there, there is, joking apart, there is uh, legwork in the newsroom that needs to be done. And this is computational reading the wires. And for those of your listeners who, who don't know what computation is, essentially it, it, in a newsroom, in a national newsroom, you will have uh, news agencies filing you know, stories from all around, um, uh, the, not just Britain, actually, but around the world into one central repository. And it befalls one person um, you and me obviously have, have, have done this where you have to kind of literally read every single story that comes in and you make uh, a pretty quick judgment call on, on, on whether to, to flag that up to, to the news desk. You might select it and put it in another queue. But this is actually, it's probably getting on for thousands of stories each day, which you've got to read, which, which are coming in every, not every minute, every second. So your, your, your eye, I feel that, I, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but you f- I felt sometimes like my eyes were turning to jelly when you were just looking at, at, at this so much. And there was a lot of pressure because it, it was kind of a junior job in the newsroom, but it was incredibly important because you were the, you were the eyes on all the stories that were happening out there uh, in the world apart from your newsroom. So your new- journalists would get assigned the stories that, that you get picked. So, you, you know, particularly at the, at, at the Daily Mail, where if you, if you missed a story that were on the wires the next day, there would be a, um, you know, an inquiry um, into this, an, an, an inquest, so to speak, where you would be forced to justify why you'd missed the story and just saying, well, there was loads of stories and I missed it, um, wouldn't cut the mustard. And yeah, if, if it was a big story, you'd, you'd lose a little finger uh, for, for doing it. So you were under pressure. So, you, you know, it, for, for those of the people that, that cared about it, you would not want to miss a story. But obviously, if you selected every single story that was there, you wouldn't be popular 
with with your your news desk colleagues. So it was kind of like a, a point of um, pride being able to select the fewest possible stories, but make sure all of them were interesting. But, you, you know, sometimes you'd make a call and sometimes, you know, it would be the wrong call or for various reasons, you'd think that wasn't a story for your readership. But another uh, newspaper would pick it up and, you know, people turn around and go that that was a page five story in the Daily Mirror or the Daily Telegraph. Why didn't you pick that story up? So it was like taking an exam each day. So you're under pressure um, to do it. But also, there's just an overwhelming number of stories just hitting you from everywhere. When I was doing it, you would be one person who'd just be looking at stories from the UK, would, would mostly come through the Press Association. There'd be a PA Newswire, which would be fairly kind of well-ordered, and it would be formatted fairly well. You'd be able to read. But, you know, every other uh, you know, news agency out there from from Land's End to, to John O'Groats would be filing stories into the other newswife from the from the UK and it wouldn't be formatted. The the, the writing, shall we say, from some of them would be of a, a questionable standard. And sometimes the story would bear would be buried in the, you know, second to last paragraph. So you, you felt sometimes you had to read it all through. You'd write the times down when you last checked it. And then, you know, you'd pop off to lunch. Not that you'd have a lunch hour. But you'd pop off for even 15 minutes and then you'd find yourself about 50 stories behind, you know, the, the current time. So, yeah, it, it, it was it was hugely pressured. And it all you know, it, cont- it contributes to this thing that, you know, that I've been looking into where you're kind of being bombarded um, by things from from all uh, angles. And this was in a pre kind of social media uh, age w- w- when I did this. So it's even harder now. To, to keep track of everything that's going on because you have these agency wires, you have everything that's going on in social media, you have um, the rolling news coverage. So it's, it's hard to know where to look. And it's coming from all angles. And part of a, a journalist's job actually is to listen. You know, uh, you know, social media listening now is, is part of your toolkit and, and listening to, to wires and listening to news. But it becomes... You know, to, to the point where you're you're listening too much, and and it feels like the Tower of Babel, where you, you're getting all, all all these uh, voices in 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 different languages coming at you from from all angles. There's an output job as a journalist where you have to you know take that input, but then transform it, whether that's you know through written journalism, whether that's through video or any other format. And it doesn't feel there's any enough time to actually to to, to do that to to do the output because. Because the, the the input, all the you know, it, it's I describe it as kind of a, a, a tsunami, a wave of, of 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 noise is is coming at you, and it's not just as as you said, as you intimated there, it's not just while you're you're sitting at your desktop, it's it's on your phone, which obviously you, you know that follows you around everywhere. So th- th- there's and and it's it's let's just be clear here, it's not just something that's particular to to journalism, although you know. W- what we're doing, we're, we're in a breaking news mode, but it, people who work in business or in the city, um, that, and, and there's that desire to to stay in touch uh, and not feel like you're missing out as well. But th- that can be a problem. But, you know, the people that I, I spoke to as, as part of my, my service, it's quite interesting that, that they are unplugging, that they are, you know, there, there was one person who, who I spoke to who just turns off their, their full G. So if they are out of the office, they can't get emails. And I was like, oh, what? are you sure you're right about that? Because you, you're not going to get any emails. And, you know, there's that fear, you know, that comes to you. Oh, my, oh my God. You know, like that fear, like when you go underground or you leave your phone at home, that you're going to be, you know, you know, you won't have access to, to, to information. 
And he's saying, I'm doing this for, 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 for my sanity. So I think I didn't quite realize it, but I was this survey, this investigation, I need to explain what I was doing for the, for the European Journalism Center. I, uh, for, for nine months, uh, for a finite period, I investigated, um, you know, how journalists have been bombarded with information from all angles. And, you know, I, this was just a kind of a hunch that I had. The reason why I did it was because um, a couple of people had, had spoken to me about it. And I thought, oh, right, okay, this, this feels like an issue. But actually somebody from a third-party data provider, someone who I'd come to know very well, suggested I should do this for the, for the European Journalism Center. And they were setting up a news impact network, which was a cohort of 16 uh, um, journalism leaders from around Europe where you could kind of share information and, uh, and, and le- lessons and learnings and collaborate. And you know, we realized that journalism, the industry, is in a bit of a fix at the moment. And you know, the idea that came from, from the Burgers at the European Journalism Center was that you know, together we can try and um, fix a few issues. So as I explained, I'd, I'd, I'd gone freelance and I was consulting um, so a lot of my colleagues as part of this network were looking at particular problems within their own newsroom, which is more than fair enough. But because I was um, freelancing, I, I thought I'd look at a, a kind of a much wider issue rather than a, just a, a, an issue that would uh, affect just one newsroom. And a, a bit like trying to uh, achieve world peace, I just thought, well, why don't we try and look at this problem of, of overload, uh, of journalists being overburdened? Just talk to people and, and, and listen to them see if there were if there was really an issue and think about kind of next steps forward so yeah i just started speaking it was just like concentric circles it was talking to people as part of my network but then i you know the word spread and people started getting in touch with me and explaining um what their issues were when i started out um in journalism there wasn't that notion of having to to write several stories a day um, it was it was go out and, and just get a story and if you get it done that's fine and that might appear quite quaint or um, quite an easy way of working but you were encouraged to to leave the office or, or get on the phone and, and and speak to people but but now within a digital newsroom if you don't have a certain amount of quota of stories you do each day um, if, if you don't do a lot um, then questions are kind of asked, and, and also now, you know, you, you're measured. You, 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 people can measure your impact, um, and depending on what that success measure is, it could be page views, uniques, or whatever, or dwell time. It feels like as a journalist, your your success is kind of measured on on how many eyeballs have have gone on your story. Um, and again, when I was starting, you, you just wouldn't have that, you know. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a conversation with somebody who who looked at circulation, but now you, you're talking to uh, you know heads of audience, audience development managers who you know may may give you a, a kind of report on on um, how impactful your journalism has been. And I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. I think you know a lot of the problems with journalism is that it was kind of pale, stale white men would kind of say, this is what's important and, and I'm going to go and write about it. And it, it didn't reflect their communities. And I think looking into the impact of your journalism um, can serve 
uh, you know, an incredibly important role within the newsroom because if you're writing stuff that nobody wants to read, well, maybe you need to, to have a think and reconsider it. But it, it should be as a, as a guide rather than an overarching um, instruction that, you know, you, you've just got to get clicks and you've got to get hits. But, of course, you know, business models are under pressure to, 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 to grow their audiences. So that is something that a modern-day journalist has to, um, has to deal with. You know, I wanted to do a survey, um, and I did a survey of around about 10 questions, kind of quite broad questions around it, because, again, <laughs> the irony wasn't lost to me that you're getting an email asking you to take some time out to fill in a survey about how, how overwhelmed you are. And I did it on SurveyMonkey, and they, they said, it. oh, it, you know, when you were doing the questions, you can see how long it's going to take. And I go, this would take about six to seven minutes. So I could have, you know, I had 100 questions, and actually, that's, um, actually that hadn't occurred to me, to be honest. But it's a very um, pertinent question uh, about uh, wanting to be seen. But I had to kind of balance it, you know, with the fact that, you know, I could ask 50 questions, but it would take you an hour to to do and you know again you're, de you're demanding their attention and time to kind of fill it in so i, I kind of kept it six to seven minutes the the need to be seen in terms of your profile joining the conversation on twitter whether it's you know at question time or or pmqs just to show you know you're there you're you're on top of things um that that's another that's another issue that that, that you've got to deal with but you know when you might want to switch off you know say on a thursday evening you know, one day before Friday, no, question time is on now with, with Fiona Bruce. And yeah, I need to be seen to be getting involved. So yeah, it, 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 it is really hard to, to, to switch off. I think there's a, there's a job, not just for journalists, so to, so to speak, on the, on the shop floor to do, but also for, for managers to get that kind of 360 degree awareness of, of what's going on. On top of that, you have people right at the right at the top of the organization who perhaps want to to show that they're they're making an impact who are pivoting towards digital who are under pressure to come up with you know new ways to tell stories and they're foisting on another um thing onto journalists and it might look you know the, the, the thing that the that they introduce might be new bright shiny new and groovy but it, it might mean and it, it might be very digital and it may be worthwhile doing but it's another thing that perhaps a journalist will have to do in their working day on top of all the other stuff, which might be looking at wires, which might be, you know, listening to social media and, oh, they want me to look at another platform. Um, and that's why, um, as part of my conversation, um, I wanted to kind of gauge the attitudes about from third-party data providers. It was probably something that, you know, now that I, I, I want to, I did a first swing at it, I want to speak to kind of data providers and just say, well, look, you know, do you realize what you're doing when you're creating all these products? And there's, you know, I think a lot of journalists out there who, who are listening will just think, I've got to listen to this dashboard. I've got to have that dashboard up. I've got those notifications up. And, you know, there are Slack integrations now where things can work together. But I think that there's, that there's two sets of, of folks that need to realize what's going on. The leaders right at the very top, who probably don't know what the journalists are doing in their working day and just have a realization of the pressures that they're under, but also third-party providers of information and data, of, of news. And, and there needs to be a, a, an awareness on their part too.
Well, the e editors are, are are overwhelmed, and you know there is um, there's one person who's an editor um, who works at uh, a news organisation. Won't say, and he was saying, "I've got a hundred thousand unopened emails," which actually um, it's probably loads of people have have, have done that. And there was an, actually an article um, I think last week. I don't know. I think it was a kind of it's called email freedom, where you just accept that you're not going to that you're not going to open all your emails. It's if if you are ignored by an editor, please, it isn't a kind of a, a personal uh, thing. They're uh, overwhelmed and and uh, under pressure themselves. And I think a bit like you know, PRs would you know, I don't know if if, if you or your audience members ever spoke to PRs. And go, when is the best time for for me to get in touch with with a journalist? Perhaps freelance journalists should should think about that as well uh, and it used to be that this is in an analog age when there used to be you know a morning conference and an afternoon conference um uh, and it's like you know there's no point trying to get hold of, of a journalist just before morning conference because they're going to be under pressure under stress but if you have a knowledge of of your editor your commissioning editor's working day and you know that there might be a pressure point for her or him at a certain point where either she or he has got to, you know, either present a, a news list or, or or do something for their bosses, and and may, you know maybe that's when you are speaking to them when you do get either FaceTime or downtime to them, you know, just say when is the best time to to get hold of you in your busy day, and um, you know I get a lot of emails from freelancers where it's the emails, the pictures are kind of particularly when they're cold call emails are scripted badly, they don't have an it feels like They've copied and pasted, you know, several of these emails and not really thought about the news organization that they're writing for. They don't have an awareness of, of who the audience, you know, we would not take something like that. It's just if, you, if you'd if you bothered to have a look at our site, we so wouldn't have done it. So it might be five or, or six news outlets where you can, you know, you, you can still keep the, the boilerplate email or pitch that you've got, but just tweak it to the, the news organization rather than it feels like a machine gun just firing up into the sky, not, not hitting anything. If something absolutely massive happens and then you get an email from, oh, I've got this idea for a story. It's like, no, it, 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 it's have an awareness. It, you know, it's, it's, I was talking earlier about news editors and leaders having a 360 awareness. Freelance journalists should have a 360 awareness as well of what's going on. So if you're working for a breaking news outlet and something huge has happened, just say like, you know, we vote to, to leave the European Union or, or not, say for instance, perhaps don't come up with the pitch on that day. But if you're looking around and just going, it looks like a slow news day here. Well, that, that's your opportunity. That's when, when a, new, a commission editor or a news editor is fishing around for something. And that's when, you know, th they might buy. So know the news organization that you're pitching at, but also know the rise and fall of the day, but also just have a look around. And if it's a slow news day, yeah, go for it. It's hard to get optimistic sometimes about it. Well, th there's a community of people out there that, that, that care about journalism. When it, when it feels like, you know, our own institution is, is being questioned and threatened, you know, by, by the lead of the free world, I think, you know, that's something um, worth fighting for. I think we're so bad at explaining to people what we do. Um, and how do you do that without coming across as kind of as arrogant or sententious saying like, oh, you know, you really, you know, democracy, you know, you really need us. It, it's tricky line to do, but I think we need to extol our success stories, how we hold people and power and institutions to account and if you think of the democratic deficit now 
um, in you know in local uh, affairs. I think part of that is because the, the the local news journalist, that person that would turn up to the council meetings, which again might not be a sexy job, but having somebody there holding councils and institutions to you know, to, to, to account is hugely important. And I've spoken to counsellors, you know, can say I perform differently when I know a journalist is in the room. If I'm at a council meeting, I will act differently when a journalist is there because you know somebody is going to to report what they say. So we need to explain, and we've got a bad rep, you know, um, but because, you know, Fleet Street, you, you mentioned Fleet Street to the, you know, most people and People will come up with a view. Oh, yeah, you're up to no good. You're you're going through bins, or it's phone hacking, or you come up with with fake news. We need to counter that um, ourselves. And the problem is because it's such an adversarial business, and we're kind of up against each other. We've been used to kind of beating each other. So stories that we don't come together and just think about how do we explain ourselves. And very often, you know, when you have somebody coming on to defend the media and you know perhaps the tabloid media they they roll out you know a fat balding middle-aged white bloke who's got a cockney accent and who was the tabloid editor at whatever place and tries to defend it and so we need to think of, of you know what the message is but what people what kind of people actually deliver that message and if we are to survive as an industry, we've got to grow our audiences. So we've got to appeal to more audiences, and we've got to we've got to reflect that. We've got to reflect, you know, the the modern society um, that we live in. So you know, th- th- there's there's great journalism that is 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 still being committed, and you know, you, you look at you know, there's still great scoops that have been done, um, not by just by the the traditional Fleet Street legacy news brands, but by, you know, digital news organizations with investigations teams. There's a lot of accountability journalism that that is being committed. And we need to explain that to people and just say, well, look, this costs money to do, but the the world will be a poorer place if if you're not reading about that. You know, if if people are just thinking, no, that this isn't the career for me because uh, I've just had enough. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to start losing people. Um, so yeah, we, we really need to think about this um, and how we treat our journalists and news and managers need to think about. You know, just don't throw another tool or another platform at a journalist to kind of monitor during the day. J- just have a think about you know well-being and you know conversations. Now you look at the the national conversation about mental health and wellness. Um, all the subjects around that i think there's a heightened awareness around that in any industry but particularly in ours when we are under a lot of pressure we need to we need to act on it uh, rather than talk about it they've been worn down and yeah the, you know that it should be the best stage of your life as as a journalist when you're you're rolling your sleeves up you're learning your trade um you're having fun you're not you know weighed down by by other commitments you know for the most part you know, when you're in your 20s, you're, you know, for the most of us, you might be, you know, single, you're just, you know, throwing your, all your energies into your job. But it, it feels, you know, when you speak to, to, to journalists, it just feels like, just feels like a slog. And, you know, a lot of, you know, we were just talking right at the start about the glamour of it. That's disheartening, isn't it? When you see journalists, you just, oh, God, it's kind of, you're part of the rat race. And you shouldn't feel like that. 
um, certainly in the first few years of your career. And it's, you know, we, we call that churnalism, isn't it, in the digital newsroom where you're just turning around stories and you're not going out um, because you're under pressure to, to hit a certain quota. It's, yeah, it's depressing. Wait, 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 stop the music. We can't end this episode about burnout on the word depressing. And actually, it's not a fair representation of the really fun chat I had with John. Let me go back to the edit. I, I sort of fell into journalism in a way because I guess it was uh, like reading literature and, and writing was was probably the least worst thing <laughs> I was I, I, I was out. I certainly wasn't um, a, a mathematician or a scientist or anything else, but I loved uh, to read books and uh, I loved writing essays uh, in English literature. And I had a really inspirational uh, English teacher who uh, actually just after 25 years, I kind of met again, um, which was an amazing thing to do just to tell him my, my career, so to speak, in, in journalism. I, I really owed it to him. Um, he, he really... He was just really good at, at, at inspiring me and, and getting into um, to reading and, and writing. There we go. I found a more fun note to end on, didn't I? So thanks to John Crowley for joining me on the podcast and talking to me about all things burnout and um, telling me all about his career. And of course, thanks for the Mo Molem story. All stories about her are great. Well, that's it for another episode of Freelance Pod. If you enjoyed what we talked about in this episode, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at Freelance Pod. On Twitter is at Freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. That's it for now. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.